0: You know what my prayer is? God, don't let me mess this up. (laughs) (laughs) 150 years. Oh, and God give me 20 years of those 150 years. And every Sunday, I could get up following something like that. How amazing the envy of most of the pastors in this state to be able to get up following something like that. Lord, if you can't preach after something like that, you just ain't got it. <laughs> you just ought to go do something else. It's amazing to be here at the beginning of revival. I'm humbled that I was even called to be here. I counted a joy. I counted a privilege. I've killed lots of revivals. I don't know if I've ever started one or not. <laughs> It's a blessing to see you. It's a blessing to see this house full once again on, on Sunday night. And you know, most of churches now, you know, the church house is empty. The lights are off. The place is dark. No testimony for Sunday night services. And I'm glad that you're here. Glad you'll be here tomorrow night and, and then Tuesday night and Wednesday night. You'll be here during the daytime because you're a faithful people. I encourage you, I invite you tonight to take the Word of God that you brought along with you and turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 15. And I'm going to read those first seven verses. And those first seven verses are going to be a launching pad. As I speak to you about the divine energy of God and what you're going to need to be a person of the Word And what it will take for us to endure for another 150 years. And I want you to pray with me about that. Let's pray. Father, in your words, you've told us to make a joyful noise, a joyful shout unto the Lord, all you lands. You've told us to serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. And Lord, we've done that to know that the Lord, he is God, and it is he who has made us and not we ourselves, and that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That we have entered into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise, and to be thankful unto him and to bless his name. Because God, you're good, and your mercy is everlasting, and your truth endures, The Word of God endures to all generations. And Lord, we want to speak about the Bible, the Word of God, and about individuals who will be people of the Word, people of the book. And Lord, what it's going to do for this church for the next 150 years And Lord, we're going to thank you for that, and we're going to praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If many of you are familiar with history, and you've studied about World War II, and you remember the days of the United Kingdom and England, and the months after Winston Churchill had replaced Chamberlain, over the United Kingdoms. He addressed the House of Commons in June of 1940. After Hitler had already conquered Poland and after France had already surrendered, he knew that the United Kingdom, that England and the islands there would be next on the hit list of Hitler in its Blitzkrieg. And he stood before them and he talked about that he had nothing to offer but blood and sweat and toil and tears. And he gave a 34-minute address that ended with these words. He said, if we should build an empire that would last for a thousand years, that they would say of us in that day that this was our finest hour when we're on the launching pad of another 150 years, and when they complete that endeavor after we're gone and they celebrate as we are doing today, will they look back to this generation and will they say of us that this was our finest hour? Of all the three hundred years of the existence of Enon Baptist Church, will they say that this generation experienced the finest hour? Will they look at the record books that recount the revivals and the salvations and the baptisms and the sending of missionaries and the calling of ministers and the influence of the communities? And the buildings of buildings and looking to see that literally there was a church that was aflame during this generation. And it was you, it was me, this generation. That we were the generation that was the pillar that upheld the next 150 years. We were the generation that made the next 150 years possible because we were the foundation. Because we were the generation, the generation that found the pattern. We found the blueprint. We found the diagram that tapped into the resources of God, which is His divine energy. An energy that is dynamic, which is the Word of God. And that's what I want to address you today. And so I want to direct you to a text that has to do with Abraham. And has to do with his promises that he got from God there in Genesis chapter 15. And I'm going to give it to you and then I'm going to make just a little Walker County paraphrase so that you can understand what it really says. I'll give you the version according to Dr. John with the beard. It begins in Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring, Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Then he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to inherit it. When you read this passage of scripture, you probably know the setting of what is going on. In chapters 13 and chapter 14, it seemingly by Abraham's standard, he has everything that he ever needs. He seems like he's got it made in the shade. He is prominent. By now, he is known throughout all of the whole land in which he lives by defeating the four kings of the highlands. And he has rescued his nephew Lot. He is prosperous in the fact that he is probably the richest man that, and the wealthiest man ...of his day with his servants and his livestock. He has prestige in the fact that he has met Melchizedek... ...the king priest of Salem and he has offered him tithes... ...and he has been blessed by the Most High. But today Abram finds himself in a mood. He is unfulfilled. He is dissatisfied in life... He has heard the promise in Genesis chapter 12 that he is going to be the father of a great nation and yet he has not been able to father any child. There is no heir of his body and he has brought his complaint to the Lord. They are talking together. And in the second and the third verse, there is couched an air of bitterness and a character assassination that he brings before God. And he says, God, look, God, I don't have a child yet. I'm 80 years old. And God, I'm sure you know about procreation and all of these things. And you know that other inventions were not made during that period of time. Then he turned his direction and his attack toward God. And he said, God, I've not been able to do anything, and you haven't given me a child. You haven't produced anything. He said, look, you're not on the ball. You've been talking about making me a great nation. Well, just how is that project going, God? That's the Walker County version. That isn't what he said, but that's what he meant. And so after he gets this off of his chest, now it's God's time. And the Bible says that the word of the Lord comes to him. And once it's coming to him, he says, let's go outside. Now, years ago, I was speaking to my grandson, Jonathan, when we were at a little social gathering in church, and Jonathan was misbehaving and I said, Jonathan, do you want me to carry you outside? And he looked at me and said, yes, Papa, I like outside. <laughs> now, you all laugh because you know what it means when they said, do you want to go outside? But God had something up his sleeve when he was going to take him outside. The word of the Lord came and it was time to enhance the faith of Abraham. God at this time is going to tell him, he said, you tell me to look at, at you because you've not been able to do anything in the area of procreation. Then God puts his hands on his hips and say, I want you to go outside and I want you to look at the stars. I want you to count them as you can. You can just see God as he's standing there. Abraham, you come out here and I want you to gather up yonder and I want you to look at the stars and I want you to count them if you think that you can. I want you to look at my resources. I want you to see all of the things that I have available to me. And he was trying to tell Abraham, you need a practical, a dramatic, you need a visual illustration about the resources that I have at my disposal to prove to you that my word is true and it's actual and you can count on it. When I tell you that you're going to be the father of a great nation and that you're going to have a child, you can count on it. If I tell you that a hand-dipped snuff, you can look under its wing and there's a spit can. <laughs> Everything that I tell you is yes and amen in the word of God. Every promise is true and every one of them is going to come true. So God says, I have resources at my disposal And the resource that I want to show you is I want you to look up and I want you to look at the stars. And I want you to tell me how many are up there. Well, we have tried to discover just exactly how many stars are up there. We have counted or someone has supposed that there are over 2 trillion galaxies up there somewhere between three and 300 light years, distance between one end of them to the other. Now, I don't know that to be actual fact. I've never traveled a light year. But you understand that there's two trillion of those, and some of them are over 12 billion light years from where we are today, that if we traveled at the speed of light, it would take us 12 billion years to get there. I don't think I'm going to live that long. And we live in the galaxy that is known as the the Milky Way, and there is an estimated 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And for a person to stand outside and try to count all of those stars is ridiculous. There is 100 billion stars out there, and the reason that I know that is I stayed up late last night counting them. (laughs) And Abraham couldn't see them all, much less count them all. Because the amount is innumerable and there's no way that they can be counted. And there's no way of uh, means that you can count all of those. Look at the stars and count them if you're able. He could have asked him, what do they do up there? In Psalm 19:1, it says, the heavens declare his glory and the firmament shows his handiwork. God is just trying to show him. You look at all of the stars that are up there, and you try to number them. All of the galaxies, there are two trillion of those, and you multiply that by time. It's a hundred billion stars, and that's just my handiwork. That's what I do when I piddle around. If you were to come to my house, you probably wouldn't get out of the house before I tell you, Hey, I'm a woodworker. Let me show you what I do. This is the curios that I make. This is the hutches that I make. This is the deacon's benches that I make. This is where we store these. These are the clocks that I made. This is the first that I made. This is the second one that I made. This is the third one I made. We have about 20 clocks in the house because I make clocks. And I say, if you want to see the rest of the stuff, it's out here in in my woodworking place. That's just my handiwork. God said, I do a handiwork. And there are all of these stars that I have up there. And you understand that when you read the Old Testament, you will understand that when the Old Testament prophets and writers wanted to describe the the work of God, the work of Jehovah, in distinction to all of the other gods that that were being contrasted uh, uh, across the world during that period of time, they would always say that our God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And none of their gods ever had that title. None of their gods, whether it was Baal or Moloch or, or any of the other gods, could ever say that they created the heavens and the earth, yet the God of the Jews and the God that we serve, they always would say he is the creator, he is the maker of the heavens and the earth. And then we have to come to the question of how... Did he put them up there? And this is where we get into the dynamic energy of God. The word of God's power. And that is when you read the opening verses of Genesis, you read the creation story. The creation story is so simple that a six-year-old can understand it. You can set a six-year-old kid down and you can read the creation story and ask them, do you believe that? And they say, yes, I do, but educators and scientists go bonkers when you try to read the creation story to them. Because the creation story goes like this. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. All that God had to do to put all of this universe together is to say, let there be and there was. All of those stars up there with one and and a jillion zeros after it are up there and they stay up there because God said, let there be and there was. That's how powerful and dynamic the word of God is. Oh, everything that we see and everything that was made, God said, let there be and there was. And God had simply told to Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations and that he was going to be a father in his old age. And if God could say to the trillions and billions of stars that are in the universe, let there be and there was, that surely that God could be counted on to do what he said that he was going to do because God had divine energy and that when God spoke, things happened, things got done. And so we can look at the Word of God and we find out that there are people that are are rehearsing the phrase, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. No, if God said it, that settles it where anybody ever believes it or not. He said, thy word is forever settled in heaven, O Lord. So we have to look at the Bible and to see how God's word, that divine power, that energy of God, is disseminated to you and to me tonight. Just look at three little simple ways. First of all, there is a living word, and his name is Jesus. When you start reading the New Testament, you will come across a section known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John. In the first four books of the Bible, you will find out that there is Matthew and Matthew wants to view Jesus as the king of the Jews. Mark wants to present him as the servant of man. Luke wants to present him as the son of God, and John presents him uniquely, excuse me, as the son of man, and John uniquely presents him as the son of God. And he begins opening with the statement that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him nothing was made that was made. And in him was life and the life was the light of men. That he came into the world... Not with the name of Jesus, according to John. He came in with a unique, exceptional name. And and that name was the Word. The very divine energy that we are speaking about tonight. The very thought, the very expression, the very spoken voice that brings things into being was embodied into the person of a human being Jesus Christ, he was that divine one that brought every one of those stars into being. He made everything that was made. And he keeps it up there. And in him everything consists. And Jesus testified of himself by the words that he spoke. At age 12, he marveled those around him with gifted words written by the prophets. By His words, supernatural works, miracles, signs, and wonders were done. By His words, demons departed, disasters were diverted, diseases were dried, and death was denounced. All of nature, the winds and the waves, obeyed the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ that would cause the disciples to cry out, What kind of man, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves will obey His voice? He could pray over five loaves and two fishes and I thought that was going to get into my sermon. (laughs) And multitudes of thousands fed because in his word there was divine energy. There was power that was beyond measure. And then there is the living word. But Jesus also has given us a written word. And we call this written word, we we call it the Bible, the Biblios. And we understand that the Bible says something about itself. The Bible says that it is inspired. And we find in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. And by instrument inspiration we mean that God breathed it. And in this statement that we're able to see two distinct things, really more than that, but the distinction is in its origin, where it came from. And that there's no other book in the world that can claim what this Bible right here claims. And it, it claims that that it, it comes from the very breath of God and that's divine inspiration. And the Bible says that prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Spirit of God. It is a God-breathed book. And we call it the Word of God because it is the Word of God. And it has a purpose. It has profitability to it. And I quote from Pastor Zach's book. I've borrowed it again. I've had two copies of it now. He said, Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church in California spoke of this passage, saying that God's Word teaches us, which means it shows us God's path. It reproves us, which means it lets us know when we get off God's path. It corrects us, which means it tells us how to get back on God's path. And it trains us in righteousness, which means it shows us how to stay on God's path. We understand that it is a God-breathed book, and it has a profit to us because it teaches us, it instructs us, it corrects us, and it is used for reproof. There's no other book that is like this book. But not only is it inspired, we find it is a living and it is a powerful book. The Bible says, for the word of God, the Bible is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the visions of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is the discerner and thoughts and intents of the heart. We understand that the Bible is the word of God and to open the Bible is to open the mouth of God and let it speak to you. Because when it speaks, it speaks of life and power, because it is living and a powerful word, sharper and more powerful and piercing than any two-edged sword. That's the reason that down through the centuries that people have hated this book and attempted to destroy this book, because there's no other book like this book. It's better than any other book. Because other books can give you enough morality to keep you out of jail, but they can't keep you out of hell. This book, the Bible, can get you off the highway to hell and get you into heaven. We understand that this book brags by saying, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, and that old things pass away, and that all things become new. That's what this book will do for you. It will transform your life. It will change your life. That's what the Bible says about itself. Here's what men say about it. Dr. Charles Rowry, who is the noted theologian of the 20th century, he said that God superintended human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error God's revelation to man. The Baptist faith and message says it has God as its author. It has salvation as its end and truth without any mixture of error. Dr. R.G. Lee, probably one of the most gifted individuals, wordsmith, former pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, where Steve Gaines, who is going to be here tomorrow night, is pastoring now. He said, the Bible is beyond all books as a river is beyond a riverlet. The book is beyond all books as the sun is beyond a candle in brightness. This book is beyond all books as the wings of an eagle is beyond the wings of a sparrow. It is supernatural in origin, eternal in duration, inexpressible in value, immeasurable in influence, infinite in scope, divine in authorship, human in penmanship, regenerative in power, infallible in authority, universal in interest, personal in application, and inspired in totality. No one could write anything any better about a book like this. But now listen to what Dr. John Hambright says about it. I'm going to quit preaching and go to meddling. The Bible is strangely absent from among the people of God. You can go into homes today and among God's people and you don't find a, a copy of the Bible on the coffee table on the mantel anymore. You don't find it on the dashboards of cars like you used to see. You don't find mom and dad getting out of the car with their two little kids and every one of them having a copy of God's Word like it used to be in the days when I started preaching. We don't have sword drills in churches like we used to do when we would teach little kids like Ella and others younger than that to stand up here and have sword drills and call out a a passage in the Bible, and they they would hustle to be able to find it and to call out and win prizes for being able to do so. I understand that there are folks that have electronic devices. We find most folks don't have a copy of God's Word. They depend upon presence. From screens or our notes that we make or handouts that we give them. They make no notations, they copy no references, they pen no verse addresses, they engage no way in what is being said. And preachers and teachers are spoon feeding their audiences, and they're like the Apostle Paul spoke I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For now you are unable to receive it, and even now you're still not able. Sure did get quiet in here, didn't it? I find that to be a reality. I find out that there are people, good people, and godly people, some holding offices in church, never bring a copy of the Word of God to church. The most foreign thing in the church that you hear today is if you have a copy of the Word of God today, would you turn with me to such and such passage? They don't ever turn there. I have the copy of a 187X Schofield Bible that I began with and how it's worn in its pages and it's stained with tears. And something, when I would read it, I'd hold it to my chest and and, and and thank God for it. I've never done my phone that way, even though it has a copy. Never done my iPad that way. There's just something wonderful about the Bible. We sing the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand upon the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. The Bible is, the Word of God is tragically Ignored, and we produced a group of spiritual pygmies. And if we are to produce spiritual giants and people of the Word of God, we must be like the psalmist who said, I rejoice in your word as one who finds great treasure. We're going to have to get back to the Bible. I know that some of you can remember, and you watched the pictures over there in building this building. Those of you that are sitting in it tonight may not realize it, but you're surrounded by the Word of God. In this building's construction and under the leadership of that time, we had a standing on the promises day. After church, we came over here with magic markers and began to write upon the walls and the floors our favorite and our most meaningful scriptures. And if you could pull up the carpet or you could pull up the wool or you could take the the wood off of this stage and uh, out of the choir loft, you could begin to read those scriptures that people wrote down in that day. For some reason, I was gone that Sunday. And I came here on here on Monday and I read every one of those. Oh, how God blessed my heart to think that our people were people who believed in the book and they stood on the Word of God And they could truly sing, standing on the promises of Christ my King. And they cared enough that when this building was being built, that their favorite and most meaningful scriptures all over this auditorium would be spiritual promises. Still testifying of a group who wanted this place to be a place founded upon the Word of God. It was and it is the founding principle that people who are Enon will be a people of the Word of God. That's what we believe in. That's what the foundation will be for the next 150 years, that we will be people of the book, people of the word. There's a living word. There is a written word. But let me conclude with saying there is a a spoken word. I'm going to speak to you about there being an audible voice of God or about an individual call of God. The book of Hebrews opens up. And said, God, who at various times and various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has of these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Spoken to us by his Son in these last days. God speaks. And in this verse says, he has spoken to us as individuals. I stand before you to tell you that I am a God-called preacher. I make no apologies. I make no acts of contrition. I have heard the voice. I have heard the call of God. And people ask me, was it an audible voice? I'm all the time getting that question. I, I still answer that question as I heard another preacher. I don't know who it was. No, it wasn't an audible voice. It was louder than that. You can't get away from the voice of God. You can stick cotton in your ears or you can stick plugs in your ears and you can get away from loud dins and noises that are in the world. But you'll never get away from the voice of God. I heard the voice of God when He called me to salvation. Next Sunday... It's going to be my spiritual birthday, November the 10th of 1968, 54 years ago. I heard the people pray. I heard the people sing. I heard the preacher, Herb Thomas, preach. And during the invitation, I heard God speak to me about being saved. I heard the call to salvation. It was like when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost and the people were, were, were cut in their heart and, and they said, men and brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus because of the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off and as many as the Lord our God will call. He called people to salvation. That was me, and that was that morning. And I put off that call to that night's service. And in that night's service, when they began to sing that invitation hymn, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. I tried to put that hymn book back where it belonged, but I could not. I threw it on the floor, stepped out, went down to the aisle bowed on my face before the Lord and I cried out, Lord save me. And I answered the voice of God and God called me. But that wasn't the last time. I heard when God called me to preach and I surrendered on April the 16th of 1972. I heard God call me on September of 72 to go to Hayden First Baptist Church as their pastor. I heard him call me in 1974 to leave a a, a, a very good job with Liberty National Life Insurance and, and, and go to work full time at the church. And at age 79, I keep my spiritual ears open to hear for the voice of God and to listen to him speak as he calls me into service. Why? Because I believe that in the 21st century that God is still and drawing them. He's calling people into sanctification to to purify their life. He calls them into service. And you're probably sitting here and said, he's never spoken to me like that. Maybe you just never heard him like that. Maybe your antenna is broken and maybe you're not listening. Let me encourage you to do something. Trust him. Try him. Ask God to say something to you, to call you to do something, to get Him to do something for you. I dare you. And He will speak to you, and you'll be able to hear that call, that, that voice of God. Yeah. Maybe He's already spoken to your heart, and you already know what to do. But you would let good choices override the best choices in your life that in some area of your life you've grieved the Holy Spirit or you've quenched the Holy Spirit or there's an area in your life where the joy of Jesus is missing. There is a place where there is that still, small voice that you keep hearing every time the din and the noise of the world will quiet itself, that God is still there that's calling you. I had a fella come up to me one day after I got through preaching, and he said, I heard the voice of God call me to do exactly what you're doing. And every time you get up there, I still hear the voice of God calling me to preach. I said, it's still not too late. You can still surrender. A place where there is a still small voice that will drown out every other event that is going on. Someone referred to me one time and said a dog doesn't have to bite when a growl will do. That's just my personality. (laughs) And God doesn't have to thunder and send lightning when that still small voice will do. You'll know who it is and you'll know what it wants. If you're going to be a foundation, the pillar that the next 150 years can build upon, you'll have to do three things to become the people of God and the Word of God. First of all, you'll have to appreciate the Word. It's God's dynamic energy. You need to get the Bible and you'll have to have one that you can call your own maybe you got one laying around the house and you just need to get the dust off of it and open it up and let it speak to you because it speaks to me it's amazing linda and i were talking about that and she said it's just amazing how you can just open it up and it just seems like god just starts talking out of the pages about what you need to know And what you need to have for the day or for the problem that you're facing or the need that you're facing. You're you're going to have to appreciate that word. You're going to have to appropriate that word. You're going to have to hide that word in your heart that you may not sin against God. Maybe you need to start a memorization program. And people are always telling me that I can't memorize anything but they know every song from the 50s and the 60s up through the 70s and the 90s. And yet they tell me that they can't memorize verses. Yeah, you can. And then you're going to have to apply the Word of God. In Joshua eight, it said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Not just to know the Word of God, but when you meditate on it and you observe to do all that is written in it, then you'll have good success. When you read the Word of God and it tells you what to do and you know what to do and then you start doing it when you become people of the Word. Then you become the pillar, the foundation that God can build on And the church can be built on and you'll enjoy the next 150 years. In just a few moments, we're going to sing an invitation hymn. And it's going to be about you being a person of the word. And if you want to become a person of the word, I can promise you three things. First of all, if you become a person of the word, you will know the person of God and you'll have an intimate relationship with Him. It won't be this casual thing where you'll just come on Sunday and you'll just walk in and just walk out and you're no different when you walk out as you were when you walk in. You'll quit being a casual Christian. You'll get to know God and as He knows you. Secondly, I promise you, you'll get to know the purposes of God. You'll know what His plan is for you you'll get to hear that voice and you'll get to know what God wants for you and for your life. The plan that He has for you. Then you'll get to know the power of God. You'll get to see Him display it for you. And you'll get Him to display it through you. And that'll be the greatest thing that you'll ever know. Tonight, I'm not going to ask you to make a commitment. Too many times we ask for commitments. That's something that you want to do for God. I'm going to ask you for surrender. And surrender is something that God wants to do for you. And I believe tonight that while I was speaking, that He has already spoken and that you've already heard. That while I was speaking, that God was speaking to you. And instead of saying, oh joy, you were saying, oh no. That you heard the voice of God. And you know what you need to do. And if it's something public, like salvation, you need to be saved. Or that you need to rededicate your life, or you need to join the church, or you need to do some confessing before the Lord you need to come there's going to be people here to receive you but if you just need to find a place at this altar or you need to make an altar where you are I don't see anything wrong with you doing it publicly and openly and making a declaration before God, God I'm going with you all the way God doesn't have any secret service folks Just openly and publicly do what God wants you to do. And we're going to pray. And then we're going to see who's the leader. Who will be the first one to do what God wants you to do. Father, in Jesus' name. While Pastor Zach is here in the front. Brother Ron and Brother Ken come. Lord, it's your invitation. It's not mine. Lord, for people that need to say, I want to be a person of the Word of God. I want to know the person of God and have an intimate relationship with Him. I want to know the purposes of God and His plan for me. I want to know the power of God and see Him display His power as He manifests it in me and through me. God, you're speaking to my heart, and I want to surrender to you. And Lord, for those that need to be saved, those that need to unite with the church, those need to rededicate their life, or whatever other ministry decision there is, Lord, let them be bold enough and brave enough to follow the leadership and the voice of God tonight. And Lord, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.